0: I'm kimberly c paul today we talk with tina ketchy stearns she's an educator and a speaker who is offering comprehensive training programs to help others take the fear out of the conversation about end of life how do we become the architect of our own destiny throughout two decades of working with the dying i think i've discovered the secrets to dying well in america We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. I am so excited to be talking to you today. It's rare when I get to talk to somebody in my home state of North Carolina. You live in Winston-Salem, Greensboro area? I do. We've known each other for many years. We've worked in local state hospices. Um so I just wanted to start off because I know this, but my listeners don't. What interested you in this whole end-of-life service hospice care? Let's let's hear a little bit about how you got where you are today.
1: I actually worked in the travel industry for over 20 years, and that involved seven moves in 15 years, which I do not recommend. Um, But when I came back to my hometown of Winston-Salem, I did not want to get on a plane anymore. I just wanted to do something that had more of a community focus and something that really was in my heart. And I have always loved and adored seniors. I think they're amazing. Mm. They may be 80 on the outside, but they're 18 in their head, and their heart. And I just think they're awesome. And so I wanted to work for something involving seniors. And I went to senior services and they didn't have anything. And a friend that was there said, well, I heard hospice had something open. And I went and interviewed and they actually made me the offer and I turned it down for another position, I was almost positive I was going to get still in more in the travel related industry. And I did not get that job. And the very same day I did not get that job, I got another call from hospice. Mm. We have another position we want you to look at. And so I thought, you know what? That's God talking to me.
0: <laughs> oh, honey. <laughs> yes, absolutely.
1: So I've been there. I've worked with them for almost 13 years and loved every single second of it.
0: So how long were you with your local hospice organization?
1: It was almost 13 years, about four months shy of 13 years. And what
0: inspired you to leave and start something a little bit different,
1: but the same? Yes, exactly. Kimberly, have you ever had an experience where you felt like God took your hands off the wheel. And he put his hands on the wheel.
0: You know, I have to say, yes, something larger than me, God. Yeah. Something along those perfect storm would, I never thought I would leave hospice and something happened that just called me in a different direction. So absolutely.
1: You couldn't have said it better. It was the kind of situation where I thought surely I'm going to be here forever and ever. That was my feelings the whole time I was there. And then I did, I think you're going to speak to a little bit. I did a program last September, a tele-summit involving 21 experts, 20 from the U.S. One was from Canada. And I thought, well, I'll have people register from the U.S. and Canada. And I'll be darned if I didn't have people register from 25 countries. Wow. Now, was this through your hospice organization? No, this was me. I decided to do this separate speaking thing on the side so that I could take the education beyond the 13 counties that that hospice serves. So just for a second and just making sure that your listeners understand, there are lots and lots of hospices and people get so confused about that. They don't realize. um, They think all the hospices kind of fall under the same big, huge hospice umbrella and I don't know about you, Kimberly, the way I try to, the analogy I usually use is that think of it at like the faith community. All mm-hmm. churches are in the faith community, but they're all separate and independent. And that's exactly how hospices are. So the hospice I worked with served 13 counties. And I just had this, again, that sort of, I don't know, gut God messaging going on mm-hmm. that I needed to take this education bigger. I just I need I needed to educate more people than just that 13 county area. So we signed a non-compete about a year ago so that I could do this side uh, consulting, teaching, speaking business. So I could go to other counties outside of our service area, but even other states or who knows what. So, again, that's when a few months later I do this telesummit and when when I expected people from the U S and Canada, which would have been fabulous, mm-hmm. but I got people from 25 countries. Then I thought, you know what, maybe I really am supposed to take this a little bigger than 13 counties. Right. And so it just, it I just thought, I don't understand it. This isn't what I planned on, but I'm just going to let him take the wheel and I'm going to go down this path and I'm going to, speak and educate where uh, I have a wonderful native American friend who talks about following the snake. Mm. So I'm just going to follow the snake where it takes me. And and I've loved every second of that.
0: So tell me hospice care. You did that for 12 years. So talk a little bit about taking that leap of faith. What are, what are you doing right now?
1: Okay. The very same thing I was doing when I was with hospice. So the, 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 Things that I educate on are hospice care, palliative care, the difference between the two, advanced care planning, caregiving, grief, and spiritual aspects of living and dying. And before, when I was with a hospice agency, I spoke about that hospice. Now, what's so great is that I can talk about hospice in general because, Kimberly, I'm sure the county you live in you probably have four five, six different hospices that serve that county. We sure do. Okay. Same where I am. Same where probably every single county that your listeners are sitting in right now. It's important that they know there are multiple hospices that probably serve your area. And I love being able to talk about all of them. Like, for example... In the general area I live, there's probably, I'm going to say, six to seven hospice homes. And so I'm touring all of them so that I can better educate when I'm out speaking locally, you know, in the general triad area um, about the various hospice homes. And, you know, one has this fabulous, like the one in Greensboro, I had no idea until I went and toured it. They actually have a padded room for grief counseling for children and teens and even adults, I guess, that the way they need to process their grief might be hitting a wall Mm -hmm. or throwing something. Right. And so they created actually a family. It was a very sad story. It was twin girls. One twin was driving. The other was in the passenger seat. The twin that was in the passenger, there was a wreck and the twin that was in the passenger, passenger seat died. And um, the family of that, those girls paid to have this padded room created because the twin that was left behind, that was the means by which she needed to get out some of her grief. Oh, wow. Because she wanted to get something.
0: Wow. I know. You know, this is, I was just talking earlier today with a grief counselor, therapist. Uh, you, you just, there's no wrong way to grieve. It's about leaning into it um, and learning to live um, with it. And so it, it's really one experience um, with that family that you were just speaking about. Maybe many, many things, many families experienced that, but now, because of their personal experience, other families have the opportunity to process that grief somewhat similar. Um, and it's, it's those stories that I know inspire you and also inspire me to get this positive, um, death, positive conversation out there. Um, and that's, what's really exciting about what you're doing is you did, let's talk a little bit about your summit that you did.
1: Was it almost a year ago? No, it was it aired this past September, so more like six months ago.
0: About six months ago, you had a telesummit, um, which you had 21 days, 21 experts. It was fabulous. I listened um, to many, many um, of them. And some of those people were have been on my podcast and or going to be on my podcast. And so I was thrilled to see someone in my, in my home state doing something similar, just a little bit different, but also having these Conversations because these conversations need to happen all the time in multiple facets and multiple venues because you might reach people that I can't, and vice versa.
1: And so, talk a little bit about I'm so excited to hear some of those folks are going to be on your podcast. I'm thrilled about that. Yeah. So, tell me a little
0: bit about um, what it took to create this telesummit.
1: Okay. So, I wanted to try to cover all uh, things that touch hospice, you know, hospice is my core um, purpose, I guess, if you will, because there's so many misconceptions about it. Not enough people are taking advantage of hospice care, as you well know. And so, but all the things that touch hospice are things like palliative care, caregiving, advanced care planning, grief, spiritual aspects of living and dying. And so, I pulled together as many experts as I could find that, like some would were experts in all of those things. And some were only focused on advanced care planning. Some were only focused on grief. There was this fabulous guy, Paul Denniston. I don't know if you contacted him or not, but he's in California and he has created a yoga practice all about grief. It's called grief yoga. How cool is that?
0: It's awesome.
1: Um, Some people were only focused on palliative care. One of my experts was the palliative care director at Duke university, their uh, medical school. So, I, like you said, it was 21 days, one interview was aired every day for 21 days, and after it was over, one of the things that, other than 25 countries participating, which blew me away, the thing that I was really surprised about is I did a survey when it was over to the participants asking, what did you learn, more, what did you enjoy learning the most about, what do you want to learn even more about, what topics do you really want to hear even more about? And the top three were hospice care. Hmm. There's so many misconceptions about it, misunderstandings about it. Advanced care planning. And the third one was spiritual aspects of living and dying. Hmm. And I think one reason was the experts I had on that tele-summit included, again, that um, Native American woman that I spoke about. And so living and dying aspects related to the Native American tradition. I had a couple of uh, shamanic healers on. I had a gal that works with Dr. Sue Mortar who does a lot of the metaphysical, you know, that woman's never been to a medical doctor in her life.
0: That's that's crazy to think, but it's awesome.
1: I, I wish I, yeah, I, you're right about that. I need to, you know, kind of, Learn more about what she does. I get her emails every day, actually, and listen to her little tips um, as she emails them out. But I just thought it was so neat that there was such a huge interest in the spiritual spiritual aspects of living and dying, because that is the great mystery, isn't it? Mm, you're so right. What's on the other side of the rainbow? And um, it's I know one of the very neat interviews in that tele summit was Kitty. Uh, Edwards was a shamanic healer she's been all over the world and she we were talking about people that don't consider themselves quote-unquote religious or spiritual and she was working with a gentleman who was a scientist and he was dying and he was fearful of dying and in his mind there was nothing that came after you just you're here you live you die that's it but he was fearful of dying and so she asked him to use his imagination and just think about what would he like it to be like. If he could make anything up in his head, what would he like the experience to be once you're no longer walking around this earth in the, these bodies? And that's what he did. And he had a very peaceful Passing. Hmm. That's amazing. So those are just really, you know, there's no talk about no right answer. There's no right way to grieve, and there's no right answer to what's on the other side of the rainbow because none of us know yet, do we? That's right.
0: That and and that's the thing is, you know, it's it's really cool that. Um, people like yourself are out there getting experts together to say, you know what, it's okay not to know. It's okay that we grieve in a thousand different ways. Um, and it's okay to grieve even 20 years later. It's okay. Um, and, I, we were, you know, the word permission has been so much a part of our conversations today that sometimes you just need permission to know that you're normal, that, that just because you feel all
1: alone doesn't mean you're all alone. That's exactly right. And um, I love that that's another kind of piece of the summit. We talked about grief and <laughs> one of the favorite segments had to do about what to say, what not to say. So when I'm doing an in-service for a group of people, I will have them take a piece of paper and on one side, I'll say, write down something. If you had a loss, write down something you remember somebody saying to you that was really, really helpful and very comforting. And then on the other side of the paper, write down something that somebody said that just really hit you wrong. It was not what you needed to hear. And what was so interesting for those that would choose to share, some people would find, well, they're in a better place comforting. And somebody else said, well, when they told me they were in a better place, I thought, you know what? Sitting right next to me would be the better place mm-hmm. as far as I know. You know, so you just never know what's going to be comforting and what isn't going to be comforting. And so what I always say, and Kimberly, you probably do the same thing, is whatever the person that is grieving is saying, great. Don't take, don't ever take anything away from them. You know, if that helps them, fabulous. But the best thing you can do is simply say something like, I am so sorry. Sorry. And I'm here to support you in any way I can. Hmm. And you don't have to fix it. You don't have to make them feel better. You certainly don't want to say, you know, people have said crazy things like, well, that was three months ago. You should move on. Or that was 10 years ago. You should move on. You know what? No. Uh, No. Uh, Because, you know, what you're telling me is. If I if I'm not ready to move on, then what you're telling me is what I'm feeling is wrong, mm. and so I'm doing this all wrong. And and like you said, there is no wrong or right. I mean, you feel what you feel, and that's your reality. That's what you're sitting in right now. And um, the other the other quick suggestion I'll give your listeners is when somebody's grieving, and I know Kimberly, you've been there, and you your head is just spinning, and you're not thinking straight, and When somebody says, let me know what I can do for you, (laughs) you know what? That grieving person can't string two sentences together. They cannot come up with something that you can do for them. So instead, I like to recommend whatever you're good at, if you're a great cook, then just say, I want to bring you dinner. How does Wednesday sound? Mm. Or if you love to mow the lawn, say, you know what? I notice your grass is kind of getting a little high. I would like to mow your lawn for you. Is that, is that good for you? Don't make them try to come up with what you can, they, you can do for them because they can't even think straight. You're so right. I, you know, and
0: what you're trying to say it, and what you are saying is that showing up is the most important thing that we all do in our lives. And, and sometimes you show up and you don't say a word. Mm-hmm. but you just show up just be there just to be there yeah and and you know what that's the thing is when people are going through either a sickness or grief the the very closest friends tend to back away cuz they don't know how to handle it when when all you need to do is show up mm-hmm. and say i love you that's right and i'm here um it, it, and that's it sounds so simple, but in the midst of it, because, you know, when we all have to admit when you see a friend or a loved one going through an illness and facing end of life, we are dealing with our own mortality. And we are, we are thinking in the back of our minds too, that one day we will die too. And that scares us. Mm-hmm. And so we back away. And, and when we should just be like, Hey, I am dealing with that, but I'm just going to show up for my friend, for my family member. And I think that's that's a little bit about what you're doing because you've seen through your 12, 13 years in hospice care that you're looking at the larger level or the broader level of so many people still don't know what hospice is. And it's so, and that even that word scares people Mm -hmm. and you're coming to it as approach of how to live and do it really well, but also how to be prepared. but taking these things called advanced care planning and really explaining what that is, you know, and and addressing spirituality at, at living while living and dying. and And so tell us what else are you doing? What's the next projects coming up for you?
1: Well, I will share that with you, but I, but you, I just have to get this in here real quick because you just said, Um, did you know that the Buddhist practice is to think about dying five times a day?
0: I am aware of that. Isn't that crazy?
1: (laughs) And and, and the other thing is they are among the happiest people on the planet. And so for us, you know, most Americans, I think it's pretty safe to say, you know, that's the last thing we want to think about. Well, I want to say Americans, I guess I should say non buddhists Maybe I should put it that way. Um, you know, most people, it's the last thing you want to think about. But when you when you consider what they do and that how happy they are, it kind of makes you wonder, wow, if I thought, if I purposely thought about the fact that I'm going to die five times a day, maybe the blue, the sky would look a little bluer and my food would taste a little better. Our words would be a little kinder. Exactly.
0: Our love would be a little bit deeper.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I really think they're on to something. I really think they're on to something. So what I am trying to do is get in front of as many conferences, association meetings, summits, uh, that kind of thing as I possibly can. And I will speak to any group, but who I'm really trying to focus on are the medical professionals. And the reason for that is in the 13 years that I worked for that one hospice agency, The first eight years, I educated non-medical groups, so businesses, churches, civic groups, that type thing. The last five years, I educated medical professionals. So I had the two large hospitals in this area as well as 70 physician practices. And I want you to know that it blew me away that the medical professionals typically did not know any more than the average Joe walking around the street. Wow. I know it. And you know what? It's kind of not their fault because they go to med school to learn how to cure the illness. They don't spend a whole lot of time on having these conversations. But what is so worrisome about that is, I'm not sure if your listeners have heard the term silver tsunami. That's a good word. Those are the baby boomers, of which I am one. And 10,000 of us turn 65 every single day. It is so crucially important that these medical providers get comfortable and confident on how to have these conversations because they're going to be doing a lot of that in the coming 20 some years. For example, there's one oncologist in my area who says it makes him absolutely crazy when a doctor says there's nothing more we can do. What he would like them to say is something like, I'd like to introduce an additional plan of care to help with this transition.
0: You know, isn't it all about language? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is, I think it takes people like yourself who knows the med speak and knows the clinical aspects of what the doctor is trying to say and to reteach them of, hey, here's some just everyday language that might make a bigger impact.
1: And it's kind of a three-part process um, when you're asking me about the projects that I'm working on. So this three-part process is pretty much, number one, these providers are very smart people, obviously, and they know intellectually that everybody's going to die. They feel like they failed if they can't cure the illness. And so the very first step is for them to not only intellectually, but emotionally, in their heart and soul and bones... Be okay with the fact that one day I'm not going to be able to cure this illness. And that doesn't mean I failed. And the second step is to learn how to have the conversation so the patient and family do not feel like you gave up on them. So every good plan A has a plan B. So if plan A is the curative path, okay, great. That's going to be our plan. but. If things don't go the way we hope, it's important that we talk about Plan B and how you would like that to look.
0: Well, I'm sure your phone is ringing off the hook because every community needs you to visit it and to help expand language and the bridge between community and end of life services without having a a really direct impact of wanting business from them because you're you're kind of you know, just a bridge.
1: I'm just trying to get their head right. And and I'll just say the third part is educating them on the basics of what hospice is. The four levels of care, when it's time to call for an assessment, when it's time to make a referral, all those basic things that they just don't know. But like I said, that silver tsunami is coming and they've got to get comfortable with this because they're going to be having a lot of these conversations. So if some of
0: our listeners are talking or thinking and they're listening to you and they're like, hey, I need to talk to her and how can I get her to come and either speak or devise a plan with our organization or create some community things for my own community? How
1: do people get in touch with you? I am so glad you asked me that question because this is a pretty cool story. The National Hospice Ribbon, you know, there's lots of ribbons, support your troops and Sure. All right. The National Hospice Ribbon has a tagline on it, and it says it's about how you live. And I've always been in love with that tagline because it's kind of a head scratcher. People are like, what? Hospice is death and dying. What are you talking about? And um, every hospice provider will tell you we are not helping people die. We are helping people live. Until they die. So I am thrilled to tell you that the URL, it's about how you live.com is my website. Oh, cool. Yes. And the national hospice organization in DC gave me permission to put their national ribbon on my website.
0: That's amazing. There's such a good group of people up there.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, they are. They have huge hearts and, and they're all about, um, it's about how you live. I mean, that, actually, that is in exactly what hospice care is about. I like to call that, Kimberly, bucket list time.
0: Mm.
1: You know, it's bucket list time. My mother was in hospice care for four and a half months. And a month and a half before she died, she said she wanted to go to the beach to drink tequila sunrise on the beach at sunset. And that's what we did, two nights in a row.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That is really cool. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate what you're doing to further the conversation in communities. If you are listening and you need help with this, Tina is available. Contact her through her website. And I will even put a link on the, the, her, the page on my website so it can take you directly to her to get more information about how she can help you and your community bridge this gap between medical providers and the actual community and facing end of life in a, in a more positive and prepared way. So I just wanted to say thank you for what you're doing, what you have done in North Carolina, but now I'm so thrilled on a national level that your your resources and your expertise are available for anyone that might need you. So thank you for what you're doing.
1: Thank you. It has been an absolute honor. And I am thrilled that you're doing the fabulous work that you're doing through these podcasts. And We will just um, continue to work together to share the work.
0: Takes a village, doesn't it? It absolutely does. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.